Father, we do thank you, Lord Jesus, for yet another day to gather, Father, in your presence. Your word encourages us, Lord Jesus, that you are among us when two or more are gathered, and we just thank you for that, Father. We thank you for the promise that we have in you, Father. We thank you for the hope, Father, that's in Christ, and we praise you, Father, that hope will never disappoint us, God, no matter what we're facing, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just pray, God, that you would strengthen the church today, Lord Jesus, throughout the earth, Father. God, that we would remember, Lord, that you are on the throne, Father. And we know, God, that you are returning. And may we encourage each other in that, Lord Jesus, that we would continue to seek you with our whole heart, Father, knowing good and well, God, that your word declares that if we seek you, we will find you. If we seek you, With our whole heart, Father, you call us to love you with all of our being, Father. And so, Lord, may, Father, may we, Lord God, have a deeper desire and love for you each and every single day. That we would fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. And that you would make every crooked path straight, God. And if there are those listening today, God, who are not in Christ who had not been born again, Father, then today I pray would be the day of salvation, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Father, I pray, God, that you would be pleased to reveal yourself to them through your Son, Jesus, Lord. And we thank you for this, God. And now, Lord, as your word goes forth, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, God, and that, Father, the word would take root into a fertile soil, God, a good soil, God, of our heart, God, that it would take root, Lord God, that it would not be choked or snatched away, but, God, it would take root and fruit would be produced, God, in our lives, that ultimately our lives would give you glory and honor. It's all for you, Jesus. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So community is the word we're focusing on for 2022. So two definitions I'm going to continue to put out in front of us every Sunday that we're together. It's a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. So focus on that last part of that scripture. We don't have to all be living in the same place, but think about this. It's or having a particular characteristic in common. The second definition, a feeling of fellowship with others. And as a result, sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Oh, how vital it is to be in Christian fellowship and a community. We understand as we read scripture from the beginning to the end, what's God's purpose? To have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. From the beginning, we see that God's plan has always been community. First with him and then with others. He didn't call out a single person in the Old Testament when the Old Covenant was given. He called out a nation. He called out a community. He called out a fellowship of people that are set aside for him. And as it is in the new covenant, there's no difference. There is a people, there is a church, there is the bride of Christ, there is the Christians who have been called out, pulled out of darkness, brought into his marvelous light, set apart for him and his purpose. 
the Christian fellowship. It's not meant to do alone. It's meant to do it in community. And each of us are to play a, 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 a significant role in it. That's why I've always encouraged us. It's so vital that you're healthy as a Christian, that you're growing, that you're maturing, because you are needed. <laughs> you're needed. You're not an accident, <laughs> but you're needed. And the Bible tells us that he, he, he has equipped us to do good works, and He equipped us even before we were born. We were purposed, and I keep encouraging us so that you know each and every day how to encourage yourself. You have significance, you have value, you have worth because of Christ. Not because of yourself, all because of Christ. You are purposed, so no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you've done, where you've been, if you just come to Christ, if you, if you seek Christ, if you walk in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit in Christ, you're going to fulfill those good works in which he prepared for you to do in this generation. Yet though this generation is getting darker and darker, we, you, should be getting brighter and brighter. And you'll never, ever reach that if you're trying to do it alone. You weren't meant to be alone. You were meant for community, to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. Each of us have been gifted. The, whole, the Bible encourages us that the Holy Spirit has distributed gifts among the church. And we are collectively to be working together, serving together, giving together, living together this life out. Think about that. How are you purposing every single day to live out in community, serving others, thinking of others before you think of yourself, treasuring, and that's my prayer for us this year, is that we would value our times together. That we would, that we would, that we, the, the church in and of herself would really take up her identity in Christ. And be his body. You're to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. Collectively as a whole, as a church in the earth, but also collectively whole as a fellowship. If you're calling this your church family, if you're calling this your fellowship, you're saying this is where God has led you to, to, to take root and to, to grow and to be among and to serve and contribute. Then oh, how I pray that you would, that you would value it that you would see the, the importance of it and how it honors God. And you say, well, then how, how can I serve here? Well, there's so many ways of serving. Just got to sit down and talk. Know your gifts. If you don't know your gifts, then, then you should sit down with me so we can discuss it, so you can get a keen understanding of how you've been created and what, what gifts have been distributed to you. And then engage with the Holy Spirit, and growing in those gifts, and then serving here, and then beyond here, out there. Taking how you've been equipped, understanding the gifts, and maturing in them, and then not only serving among us, but going out and living it out there. You're just not a Christian when you're, when you're with fellowship. No, you're a Christian 24-7. Non-stop. It's who you are now. 
Yes, you're going to have issues. Yes, you're going to endure this and you have to go through this. Yes, you're going to be tempted. Yes, there's going to be times when you fall. But get up. Remember him and remember who you are now in him. It's vital, especially in the hour and day in which we are living. There's so much. I heard this young pastor the other day say, we have a full-time devil, but part-time Christians. And I've encouraged this before as I've been sharing with you. You're living behind enemy lines. And if you think just that you're just going to get up and just go about your day, you're going to get bombarded left and right. And if you're not rooted in Christ, you're not going to know how to stand and stand there for them. I love it when we can read Scripture, and Scripture tells us that we can remain upright among a wicked and perverse generation. God has always had his people among the most wickedest, vilest generations. God's people. And they didn't crumble. They didn't fall. They, they, they stood. They didn't give in. They didn't become like them. No, they stood for who they were in. They knew their God. They loved their God. They trusted their God. And listen, you all, we need to be the people of God. And the way we grow, the way we mature, the way we allow our, deep, our, our roots to grow down deep into Christ is fellowship, community. This is God's design. It's not man's design. And I told you before, I know a lot of people say, well, you don't need to go to church to be saved. Well, but you need to go to church to get equipped. <clears throat> and if you're not among the church and you're doing it on your own, you're opening yourself up for error. Error. You're not going to find it anywhere in Scripture where the Holy Spirit tells you to go and do it by yourself. We're needed. That's why we're the body of Christ. Like I said last week, if my arm was amputated, that arm is not going to work. <laughs> my body may still work, but it's going to be missing a key part of it. It's not, all, it's not going to do the fullness of what the body as a whole could do by missing an arm. And that's why it's important. That we understand that way we're in this together. We're doing this together, not in and of our own strength, but by his power, for his kingdom, and ultimately for his glory. Living for Jesus and coming together and encouraging. Hearing the preaching of the word on Sundays. Going deeper on Wednesday. Having a time of fellowship on Friday. And maybe you can't make all three, but by God, you should make at least one or two. It's important that you're sitting under the preaching of the word. It's important that you're sitting and you're opening up and you're going deeper. And it's important to fellowship, coming together. Because again, Daily, when you get up and you go out into the world, you're being bombarded. <laughs> Left and right. Left and right. 
How are you standing? How are you taking that which you've heard and applying it? So that you're not just a hearer of the word, but you are a doer of the word. Listen, we've got to be able to know that we know that we know that we belong. I told you before, the basic need of the created man, of human beings, is just the need to belong. That's why we search for it. That's why we search for it. From a young age, we search for it. And the tendency is to search to the world to find it. Because in the flesh nature, we're not going to look for God. We're not going to look for God. Remember, I've always told you, in, the, in and of yourself, you will never wake up and say, I'll look to Jesus. I'll look to Scripture. But isn't it crazy? In and of your flesh, in and of yourself, you'll say, I'll look for that tree to be my source of energy. I'll look for this pagan ritual, or I'll look for this idol, or I'll look for this, this created thing or created person to find my being and my belonging. And we looked at Romans 1 already. (laughs) When God abandons his creation, what do they turn to? The created. He abandons them because they did not turn to him. It's because they turned to the created. Doreen and I were talking about this the other night. And how crazy is that? So you understand the awakening. Even if you have a desire to to read the word or to, you know, start thinking of Jesus, you, you need to understand that's the working of the Holy Spirit. That's not in and of yourself. Because again, in and of yourself, you're in complete rebellion. You hate God. But before Christ, you loved everything out there. And that's why when you come to Christ, you realize, oh, wait a minute. I found no source of being with any of that or with any of them. (laughs) But in Christ, I have full acceptance. I am loved completely. I am whole. That's why I've always encouraged you. You should be recognizing that as your identity. You're no longer broken. Now, are we still in this body of flesh? Yes. Are we still behind the behind enemy lines in a fallen world? Yes. So we're not talking about perfection, Christian perfectionism, but we are talking about maturing. It's vital. It's this understanding that yet though I may fall, I may sin. I can rise up again because of the Holy Spirit and I can be led into repentance and turning away from and continuing following him. Again, not because of me, not because of anything I've done, but all because of him. Listen, there is a freedom and a liberty that comes when you're in Christ. If you're struggling through your Christian life, if it's burdensome, if it's like, oh God... Listen, stop doing it in and of your own self. Get to a place where you can realize, you know what? I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to continue to be bound by shame and guilt. When I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be quick to repent. 
God, I'm sorry. Help me, Holy Spirit. I realize that this is a life that's dependent upon you. I didn't choose this. You chose me. You created me. Your word says that you will not neglect the work of your hands. Your word says that you will complete what you have started. And so I'm not going to take the burden in trying to be good, trying to do right, trying and exhausting myself to, 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 to be accepted by you. No, you love me. You've called me. You've chosen me. You've created me for your purpose. So now help me to live according to that way. And it's a continual growth, you all. And you ought to be excited about it. You ought to be excited about it. That's that's why when you go out into the world and you just live in your life as a Christian, you're not surprised by what you see. You're not surprised by the, the, the sin and the chaos that's going on because you know it's there. You're just not to allow yourself to get tangled up with it. And the power of the Holy Spirit to live clean and pure lives, to trust in Christ, to know Christ, and to bear witness of Christ, to serve them, to love them, live as Jesus did. And as in our prayer time this morning, when the scripture was read, that he loved and he served his enemies. He didn't retreat. He knew exactly how he was going to be treated on this earth. And that's why he can look at his followers and say, take heart. (laughs) In this world, you will have trouble, but I've already overcame the world. Be about my business. Go forth. And the way it's done is in community. In fellowship first with him. (laughs) Always with him first. And then with those who are called of him. Now, as I've said, that doesn't mean that sinners, the lost, aren't welcoming in. (laughs) That the backsliders aren't welcome in. Of course, they're welcome among us. But we're just not going to stamp Jesus on their forehead or claim them to be a Christian when they're not. And that's the error that's been happening from generation to generation. There are people sitting, and, and we're told already too. That the wheat and tares are going to sit together. But the sad thing is, is that those who aren't in Christ have bought into a lie because the church has made them comfortable among them. Yes, we're to love them. Yes, we are to encourage them in the things of Christ and remind them of who Christ is. But we cannot allow them to think that they're a Christian when they're not. As I've said before, the gospel, it offends and it doesn't offend you, then you haven't heard the gospel. The gospel does offend. The gospel calls you to repentance because of his loving kindness. It's his loving kindness, so let's keep hearing that over and over and over. It's his loving kindness that draws you. That's why we share the gospel. We don't water it down We don't, again, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. Just because you came to church and said a little prayer, poof, you're a Christian. When Jesus himself looks at his disciples, looks at his followers and tells them, listen, 
Consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. Even the call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up the cross, and to follow him. See, everyone is welcome in to hear. And they can keep returning and keep returning. But there is a standard among the church that the church is to maintain. And that's holiness. That's encouraging others in Christ. That's presenting the gospel. That's, in, that's living it out. So that when they see that we're together, there's the community of people. I'm drawn to it. I'm not in it, but I see that there's something there that they really belong. They love each other. In fact, Jesus himself says, how would they know that we belong to him by our love for one another? They would sense that there's something different. And so we keep pointing them to Jesus. We keep using the word of God, living out our lives. Not just catering to them, to entertain them, to make it this or to make it that. This isn't entertaining. This isn't. You look at all of this, especially when the church was birthed in the book of Acts, which we'll be starting next week. It's not entertaining. They weren't calling people to come to be entertained. They were equipping people to live out the newness of life in a world that was out to persecute them, to get rid of them. As it was then, so it is now. We are never, ever going to fit in this world. So we need to stop trying. And we need to get back to the understanding of community, of Christian fellowship and what it is to live it out. Here's some scriptures that I hope would encourage you to persevere in it. Romans 1. Let's go to Romans 1, verse, verses 11 and 12. Romans 1, verses 11 through 12. For I long, this is Paul writing to the church, for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you, listen to this, grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, see that? When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Isn't that important? That when we get together, yes, we want to be an encourager to others, but oh, for the others, how it's vital for you to be an encouraging to the other. You just don't come and just take and take and take. No, you're to, you're to be given back, to encourage, to edify, and to build up. Paul understands this concept, and he's sharing it with the church. I'm just not coming because I've got something greater than you. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. He didn't say that. He didn't leave it just there. <laughs> Listen to what he says. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. By yours. And let me tell you, as a pastor, as a counselor, 
as a teacher. This I understand. I totally get it. And I've always told people, like, listen, it's just not me. You're not looking for Rob. <laughs> it's not just me. Like, do for me, share with me, encourage me. Like, I need, I need to be encouraged by you just as much as you need to be encouraged by me. I need to share the truth with you, but I need you to share truth with me. It's iron sharpening iron. And as I said last week, and I'm sure I've said it many times before, that is so important to grasp and to understand. Because if you're just coming to church to hear a pastor preach or to hear others share their insight, but you're not contributing, something's wrong. Because you're needed. And so many times what we do is we just come to church, we come to fellowship, and we just kind of sit back to the side. And that's sad, because you shouldn't be set back to the side. You should be engaging. Engaging. Rather you're strong in the faith, or weak in the faith. <laughs> you should still be engaging. But what we've done in the church culture is we just want, we put people up front or make them vocal because they look like they got it all together. <laughs> but let me tell you something. The beauty is to hear a testimony of one who is struggling in their faith at that moment. The beauty is when people join and maybe they, maybe they aren't able to do this or that or maybe they have this issue or that issue. But just to see them engaging and getting through it, seeing that people, that they're comfortable in order to do that. Because maybe they couldn't have done it out there because they had the insecurity of what would people say. But to see people take off the insecurity and say, I'm among people who care. And I can ask questions. I don't have to have I don't have to have the pressure of saying everything right or doing everything right. No, we open it up. And just as much as yes, I want to be an encouragement to you all, but oh how I need to be encouraged by you all. And as it is with each other. That's the importance. That's that's the that's the Wow, that's something so special. Because we're not fighting for position. We're not fighting to be gifted like each other. We're not allowing jealousy. We're not allowing this. We're not allowing that in. Because when we do that, it brings division. It sows division. When we have our eyes focused on everyone else, or we're just pretending that we're something that we're not, nothing good comes from it. But to really be transparent, and like I've always told you, True transparency, true freedom comes from true transparency. First before God and then before others. What's there to hide? Why do we have to pretend? Because we know, we know good and well that each of us face things and are going through life. There's no need to pretend. We don't need to. But what we do need to do is encourage each other. Go to John chapter 15. John 15, verse 12 through 13. John 15, 12 through 13. 
Jesus' words. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. We are to grow and mature and become more like Christ. Loving each other. Serving each other. Laying our lives down for each other. Not just thinking of me, myself, and I. My needs, my want, my family, my this, my that. No, no, no. To grow and get to a place <coughs> where we look, when we come together, to serve and to love others. Again, people who aren't in Christ when they step in, they should see there's something different going on here. It might look, it's going to look weird to them. It's going to look odd to them. They're not going to understand it. But as they are more and more among us, they will understand what's causing it, or what I should say, who's causing it. It's Christ. It's living for Christ. It's honoring Christ. Again, when I think of when Scripture talks about the home, when, when Scripture talks about families, and when Scripture mentions even a saved wife who has an unsaved husband, how is she to live her life and her family and her home? As a believer. As a believer. And so it is with that example, so it is with every other example. Those who are single, those who are believers, no matter what your position is in a home, at work, or just in your community, live as Christ. And don't be shocked when people, quote unquote, who have claimed Christ, now all of a sudden stops and begins to run amok. That shouldn't shake your foundation. That shouldn't, that shouldn't, yeah, you're going to be grieved by it, but it shouldn't shake you to a point where you're collapsing. No. Stay strong in Christ. Love them. Encourage them. Don't water down the gospel. Don't pedal. Don't go backwards. No, no, no. You stand firm. You uphold truth. You live it out. Let them see that you haven't been shaken by it. Don't lose ground. Don't lose hope. You just keep moving forward, upholding a standard, praying. Oh God, praying and warfaring. Walk through your house. Walk through your office. Walk through the neighborhood. Walk through your community. Walk through stores, even before you go into a store, and pray. And pray. You have all authority in Christ. He is giving you all authority to do His will. We're again wrestling not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and rulers in the air and the darkness. But greater is He that is in you than He that is in this world. And I would ask you this day, as I've been asking myself, how's your prayer life? Is it growing? Are you sensing a deeper level of understanding of how vital prayer is? If you're lacking in prayer, 
you're lacking in growth. Because the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And when it says that, it means it. Not because it's this heavy, burdensome command. No, it's liberating. It's liberating. Because if you're continually praying as you're going about your task, it's not about a a, a formula. It's not about a position. Yet, though, there are times where you are to close yourself away and pray. (laughs) But to pray without ceasing is going through your day. Because as you're praying, thoughts that are coming in trying to bombard you, you're going to be quick to take them captive and to bring them into obedience of his lordship. If you're only praying when when situations arise, well, pray, but listen, that's not how it always should be. Because a lot of times those prayers end up being just soulish prayers. Even the unsaved, even the heathen pray. (laughs) They're not praying to God, but they're praying. (laughs) And so that's why it's vital. You're a child of, if you're a Christian, you are a child of God. And you should understand the unlimited riches that you have accessible from his kingdom. And that's why it's vital, as we've heard before, that you understand the position that you're in. You're, You're praying and you're living from the position of victory, not despair. You're not asking from a place of lack. No, you're asking from a place of overwhelming resources. And so it changes your perspective. And doing life in a community, that is why it's vital. Because one can put so many to flight, but you add on two or three or more, And boy, you will see God at work. I just want to encourage us in that. Love each other. This is what Jesus tells us as he loved us. That we lay our lives down for each other. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23 through 25. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us, hear that? Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us, There again, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How long ago this was written? And it's just as important today as it will be tomorrow and the days to come. Each day is a day of his return approaching And that's what we're living for. We're here for that reason. To be about our Father's business, preparing for His return. Again, people can live however they want. They could choose to live however they want and be who they want. We don't have to fight with them. 
but we're not going to strip Christ down. We're not going to pervert the gospel because we understand that we have been told in his word, Christ himself tells us what it's going to be like in the last days. We are encouraged. The Christian community is encouraged to maintain truth, standards, righteousness. But we're told that in the last days, the love of many is going to grow cold. That people are going to get more selfish. They're going to only seek to listen to that which entertains them and not truth. We understand there's going to be false teachers, people leading churches that are not leading people to Christ, but only to religion. And it's all setting the platform for the Antichrist. And that's why it is vital that you're living this out, you all. Again, we're not hating groups of people or people who aren't part of the Christian fellowship. We're loving them. We're serving them. We're sharing Christ with them. And if they don't want to receive, then shake the dust off and move on. If they don't want to hear, grant them that respect and move on. But that doesn't mean that you stop believing. That doesn't mean that you stay quiet. That doesn't mean you just conform to what your company's telling you, what the government's telling you, or anyone else is telling you to conform to what they believe. No, because you've been transformed by Christ. And you already know you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated just because you're loving people. Just because you're sharing them the hope that is in Christ. You already know that. So don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary. (laughs) Encourage one another. Strengthen each other. Because when we can look at each other and realize, hey, you're going through the same thing I'm going through every day. The same battles, the same struggles. Maybe even the same temptation. Maybe even the, the whatever else may be going on. Like I can look at my brothers and sister and say, you're no different than me. I understand. And I need you. Just as you need me, we need each other just as much as we're dependent upon Him to live it out, to honor Him, to love Him, and to keep encouraging each other. Like, hey, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's coming. There's work to be done. Wake up. (laughs) Keep moving forward. Don't go back. Move forward. Encourage each other to grow to allow the roots to grow down deep, to honor Christ, to honor fellowship, to value it, because that's where you're growing. Again, you come to church, not quote-unquote for the church to save you, but to be equipped. This is how God designed it, not man. God designed the gathering. God designed the fellowship. God designed the body. And God is returning. Jesus is coming for his bride. 
And that's why he'll be able to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to my rest and for all eternity. That's why each and every single day before you go out sharing the gospel with others, you need to share it with yourself. Each and every single day and throughout your day, you should be encouraging yourself with what you know to be true. Each and every single day. Because everything else you're listening to is deception. And that spirit of deception is rising up like we've never seen. And it will continue. It will continue. And just as it's rising up, just as everything else is rising up. Have you seen the new, what do they call those little icon things? On the phone, we can go emojis. Yeah. Now they have the pregnant man emoji. He has, he has a pregnant stomach and a beard. And I'm like, wow. Or the, now they also have the um, pregnant person. So they have the pregnant man or the pregnant person. And I say, God, this is where we're at. And I don't hate the transgenders. I don't hate people who, who are going and living that out. But this is where society has come. That we are mocking God. That we have turned so far from God. It doesn't shock me. Because it's only going to get crazier. It's only going to get crazier. But how are we praying? How are we interacting? How are we contributing to, to being the light in the midst of all of this? You just can't leave it for the pastor. You just can't leave it for this person or that person. No, what are you doing? Because you're to be doing something. Praying, loving, serving, upholding truth, maintaining a boundary. Saying, I will not give in, I will not bow down, I will not serve Satan. I will not give in to deception. But that's why it's vital. If you're not telling yourself daily, what is truth? What is truth? Who is truth? Jesus. What, is he, what has he said? How, how, has, how has he led the church? How did he lead his people from the beginning? What is my purpose? What is his plan for my life, and then ultimately his plan. And that's how you should be lining yourself up every single day. But if we're just giving in, if we're just codependent, if we're just living as we've been, just to live and exist among people who are deceived, then really, you should ask yourself, do you really love Jesus? Do you really honor him? And truth. And you can say, well, for me, I do. I go to church. I read the Bible. I, 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 I study. I know scripture. But do you realize that that's all you know and that's all you do? You're just religious. Because the Christian life is a life that's to be engaging. It's a life. Could you imagine if Jesus just came to earth and kept it all to himself? Well, I'm God in flesh. I, I'm all truth. I'm, I'm all light. And he did nothing else. What purpose would it have been? But he came. He stepped in 
And what did he do? He revealed himself. And that's how it should be with your life if you're in Christ. Not to reveal yourself, but to reveal Christ. I will not bow down. I will not give in. There is a boundary that is set and you're not going to cross it. I will respect you and I'm asking the same respect for me. And if you can't, then yes, we must part ways. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean that I won't be there if you ever need anything. But if you're going to disrespect, just as I would think that if I was disrespecting you, you would have every right to tell me we have to part ways. So listen, that's why it's vital. We can't forsake meeting each, with each other. We can't, we can't just exist just to exist and then not give back. Because you are to be given away what you've received. If you receive love, give love. If you re- received forgiveness, be forgiving. If the grace that you've received, God, you should be extending it to others. They don't need you to mock them. They don't need you to laugh at them. They need your grace. What you've received that has transformed you. They need mercy just as much as you need mercy. See, the Christian life, when you really begin to understand what you have received, that you're no longer meant for his wrath, but because all that he's accomplished, he has led you to his love and has revealed such great love to you, why would you not want to share it with others? Why would you keep going on with their vicious cycle of chaos, of confusion? There has to come a time where you say, no more. I'm not doing it. Because I'm discrediting Christ when I do it. That's what we have to hear. There is a way in which we are called to live. And it's to honor Christ. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9 through 10. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others, just what I was encouraging you in, the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and to his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's chosen people or God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Go to chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 8 through 11. Most important of all, continue, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts, use them. Use them well to serve yourself. 
Nope, that's not what it says. <laughs> to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping, helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members, look at this, care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you... Each of you is part of it. Let's close with this portion of our time together. Ecclesiastes. Again, scriptures I'm sharing with you to encourage you about community. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a tripled braided cord is not easily broken. Oh, the hope that we can find in Scripture to keep us grounded, to keep us rooted in Christ and having fellowship with him and with others. Last week, and as we're talking about community, I'm going to keep introducing tools that you can take away and begin to use to grow and to mature. And we started last week the Heidelberg Catechism. It's not a Catholic teaching, though Catechism, as Carrie informed me last week, that she thought, I have to go back and see what Rob is teaching because catechism is something in Catholicism. Well, after she did her research, she realized it wasn't a Catholic teaching and we're not teaching anything that Catholics teach. No, this is a catechism. We understand from the definition of catechism. That's all it is, is a teaching. This was written back in the 1500s. And just as it was written back then, it is so vital even today. It's going to help you really get grounded with your belief. We started it last week. There's 52, quote unquote, what they call Lord's Days, 
We looked at the comfort that we had last week. And if you weren't here last week, you haven't read the notes last week, you need to go read it. <laughs> to lay a foundation. To understand. Because we're picking up today in Lord's Day 2. Misery. Part 1. <laughs> we understand that we need to know how miserable we are. <laughs> to really understand the comfort that we receive in Christ. So here's our question, and we, we learned last week that in this catechism, there's a question, and then it gives you answers. And the answers are all scripture. And as Wednesday night, when we went deeper, I know it was a lot of scripture. There's just so many scriptures I can't do on Sunday, so we're going to do them on Wednesday, because I don't know if you're truly, genuinely walking away from this place and sitting down with your Bible going through the notes, and allowing the Holy Spirit to confirm what was said. Keep what was good, throw out which is bad. <laughs> but you shouldn't just take what I'm saying as face value. You should go back, sit down with the Scripture, as the Holy Spirit is leading, and study. It's one reason why I love this. I've been studying it since last year. Is that it's all biblically grounded. And not only is it going to, again, help you grow and mature. Again, what do we just hear and what I've been telling you? Give it back. You can take these questions and begin to go interact. I keep encouraging you all, get out there and have spiritual conversations with people. Stop laughing with them. Just stop going along with them. Ask them deep questions. Because listen, there's a longing in all of us. Remember the first question. What is your comfort in life and death? That's a powerful question. And you should be able to answer it. And give the hope that you have found in Scripture of the comfort that you can have in life and in death. And as it is with this question on Lord's Day 2, how do you come to know your misery? And the answer, the law of God tells me the answer. And that answer is found in Romans 3, verse 20, and in Romans 7, verse 7 through 25. And we'll be looking at those on Wednesday. But don't wait till Wednesday. Get in it and start understanding it. So that, again, you're not keeping it just for yourself, but that you can begin to share it with others. Help others. The second question on Lord's Day 2 pertaining to misery what does God's law require of us? The answer, Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 also ties in to that question and answer. The third question on the Lord's day two. Can you live up to all this perfectly? The answer, no. I have a natural tendency to hate God and to hate my neighbor. Romans 3, 9 through 20, and verse 23, 
1 John 1, 8 and verse 10, Genesis 6, verse 5, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, Romans 7, verse 23 through 24, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, Titus 3, verse 3. That's where that answer comes from, those scriptures. And I was finding as I've been studying this, this, these are just a few. This isn't an exhaustive list of scriptures that can pertain to that answer. I've been jotting down other scriptures that come to my mind and my heart as I'm studying, saying, oh, this ties into this. Because it's scripture, it's truth, it's being exposed. And I'm telling you all, if you would just persevere, if you would just challenge yourself to get beyond yourself and get into Christ, trusting in Christ, loving Christ, growing in Christ, and then giving to others. Giving to others what you have freely received. So we're going to be working through this catechism throughout the year and possibly into next year until we finish it. I've also been sharing with you, I started last week, True Freedom Fellowship. Who are we? I want to, I want to put our vision, our core values who we are, what we believe back in front of us. Because again, community, we have to be in agreement. And if you're not in agreement, then I'm not quite sure why you're here. Because this is who we are. This is what you're saying that God has led you to, to be a part of. And we're true freedom fellowship, a genuine not, not, not a deceptive freedom, but a genuine freedom that we found in Christ. And we have a desire to share it with others so they would come to know Christ and the kingdom of God will advance. And we're being about our Father's business. Today we're looking at the statement of faith. I don't know if you've gone back and read through it. I don't know how you're engaging and praying for us as a church, but oh, how I pray you are. Just as much as how I pray that you're engaged in serving here, somehow, some way. How you're engaged in giving here. I don't stand up here and beg you to give. <laughs> but we'll give you the opportunity to give, to sow in to the needs that come in. And you should freely be giving. You should be a cheerful giver. In fact, you should be cheerful in all that you do. <laughs> You shouldn't be grumbling. You shouldn't be fault-finding. There's ways in which you should be contributing. But first, are you in agreement? Are you truly in fellowship? Are you truly in community? Do you have that common characteristic? Those interests, those beliefs, are they defining you as they define the whole? So this is what we believe. And I'm not going to read all the scriptures. And Wednesday night, we're not going to go through all these scriptures on our statement of faith, but I would challenge you to sit down, read each point, and look up all those scriptures. Are you in agreement? So our statement of faith is, number one, the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired, without error, in the original manuscripts written under the inspiration of of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Amen. Number two, we believe the Trinity. 
We believe that there is one living and true God, eternally existing in three persons, that these are equal in ever-divine perfection, and that they execute distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. The third point, God the Father. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Father, an infinite, personal spirit, sovereign, unchangeable, eternal, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, justice, goodness, love, and truth. We believe that he concerns himself, or that he concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of men, that he hears and answers prayers, prayer, and that he saves from sin and death all who come to him through Jesus Christ. Number four, we believe in Jesus Christ, God's unique and only Son, who was and is fully God and fully man. We believe in his conception by the Holy Spirit, his virgin birth, sinless life, miracles, and teachings. We believe in his substitutionary, propitiatory death, bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for his people, and personable, visible return to earth. Jesus Christ is the only object of saving faith in the Old and New Testament. We believe, number five, in the Holy Spirit, who came forth from the Father and the Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God and indwells in every believer in Christ. He gives gifts to each believer for fruitful service as he desires. He is an inviting helper, teacher, and guide. Number six, we believe that all mankind are sinners and in need of salvation. This salvation is by God's sovereign grace through a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is the great spiritual work for which Jesus came to the earth. He died for our sins so that we might have salvation. This salvation is given by the grace of God and not earned or merited in any way. It is given with the purpose that men should glorify God through an obedient walk with him. Those who do not receive this salvation are condemned to an eternity apart from God, which the Bible calls hell. Number seven, the church. We believe in the universal church, a living spiritual body of which Christ is the only head, and all regenerated persons are members. We believe in the local church consisting of a company of believers in Jesus Christ, baptized, having made a credible confession of faith and associated for worship, work, and fellowship. We believe that God has given the members of the local church the primary task to disciple all the nations. Number eight, the ordinances. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has committed two ordinances to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water into the name of the triune God. We believe that the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ for commemoration of his death till he comes. We believe that these two ordinances should be observed and administered until the Lord, until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number nine, Christian conduct. We believe that a Christian should live for the glory of God and well-being of his fellow men. This 
that his conduct should be blameless before the world, that he should be a faithful steward of his possessions, and that he should seek to realize for himself and others the full statue of maturity in Christ. Number 10, religious liberty. We believe that every human being is responsible to God in all matters of faith and conscience, and that each believer is a priest of God. We believe that the church is independent and must be free from interference by any ecclesiastical or political authority. That Christians have the responsibility to seek and positively influence and be involved in the political process for the social benefit of the nation. However, the church and state must be kept separate as institutions, having different functions, each fulfilling its God-given duties and free from dictation or patronage of the other. 11. Church cooperation. We believe that local churches can best promote the cause of Jesus Christ by cooperating with one another. And finally, the last things. We believe that Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God in his first coming to earth. We believe Jesus Christ will return to earth in his glorified body to finalize his kingdom program. And we believe in the resurrection of the body, the final judgment, the eternal joy of the righteous, and the endless suffering of the wicked. This is what we believe and we to be in agreement with. Take time. Don't rush through it. Maybe one a day for 12 days. <laughs> Look up the statement of faith. Look at the scriptures that tie in with them. And if you have any concerns or comments, let me know. <laughs> but this is who we are. You'll have it in the notes. It's also posted on our website. You have a website. You have a podcast. You can go back to. You can refer others to. But there's a way, again, that we are called to do life together. To be in community together. To fellowship together. Know who you are. Ultimately first know who he is. Know who you are. And then to whom you're saying you're in community with. To grow as a Christian. We're walking through scriptures this morning. We're picking up where we left off. 2 Samuel chapter 19 verse 11 through chapter 20 verse 13 is where we're heading. David, when we last left off, David was returning back to Jerusalem after running away. And as we understand, again, God set a people apart for himself. David was God's chosen king for Israel. We, We have seen David, yet though the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart, But we have seen David make choices and decisions that are not honoring God. And as he's making these choices and as he's making these decisions, it's not only affecting him, but it's affecting his family and it's affecting the nation. And yet, God is merciful. God has extended grace to David. And God is still using David. Ultimately, Christ is going to come through the line through the lineage of David's family and finally fulfill all that God purposed from the beginning that the Messiah would come to earth Jesus to reconcile mankind back to God 
And it's so important that we're studying Old Testament. And I've encouraged you before, as you're studying the Old Testament, see Christ in it. Because everything is pointing to Christ. We're learning, even what we learn, we understand from the New Testament, it tells us why the Old Testament is vital. Because it was captured for us to know how to live in the days in which we're living. So there's such richness in the Old Testament. But 2 Samuel is where we're heading. 2 Samuel chapter 19 is where we're going to pick up verse 9, I mean, sorry, yeah, verse 11. Second Samuel 19, verse 11. Then King David said to Zadok and Abathar, the priests, or sent them, to say to the elders of Judah, Why are you the last ones to welcome back the king into his palace? For I have heard that all Israel is ready. You are my relatives, my own tribe, my own flesh and blood. So why are you the last ones to come to welcome back the king? And David told them to tell Amasa, since you are my own flesh and blood, like Joab, may God strike me and even kill me if I do not appoint you as my commander of my army in his place. Remember Joab, he was the commander of the army that went toe-to-toe with David and told David basically, get up, stop mourning over your son, and get out there and encourage your men. Where David is replacing him. With Amasa. And a lot of different commentaries have all these different speculations of why he did it. Some say he did it out of just replacing him because he stood up to him. But others said that they replaced him, which I tend to lean more to this part of that commentary, is that he did it for what ends up happening at the end of this. That he knew good and well he was strategically aligning what was about to take place. But either way, we don't know the fullness of why David is making this decision. It could be that he's just irritated with Joab. But again, you would want someone like Joab to be commanding your army. Then Amasa convinced all the men of Judah, and they responded unanimously. They sent word to the king, return to us and bring back all who with, are with you. And again, that other commentary who was pointing out that he did it in a way to strategically accomplish what he was purposing was that if he would have sent Joab to Judah, they wouldn't have responded. So the king started back to Jerusalem. And when he arrived at the Jordan River, the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him and escort him across the river. Shimei, son of Gerah, the man from Beharon, and Benjamin hurried across from with the men of Judah to welcome King David. A thousand other men from the tribe of Benjamin were with him, including Ziba, the chief servant of the house of Saul, and Ziba's fifteen sons and twenty servants. They rushed down to the Jordan to meet the king. They crossed the shallows of the Jordan to bring the king's household across the river, helping him in every way they could. As the king was about to cross the river, Shimei fell down before him. My lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible things your servant did when you left Jerusalem. Remember this guy? He was the one cursing David. 
he pleaded. Forget the terrible things your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. I know how much I sinned. That is why I have come here today, the very first person in all of Israel to greet my lord, the king. Then Abishai, son of Zeruah, said, Shimei should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruah? David exclaimed. Why have you become my adversary today? This is not the day of execution, for today I am once again the king of Israel. Then turning to Shimei, David vowed, your life will be spared. And don't forget Shimei, because we're going to see later that David kept his word. But David's son ends up executing Shimei. Now, Mosibetheth, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. Why didn't you come with me, Mosibetheth? The king asked him. And Mosibetheth replied, My lord, my king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, saddle my donkey so I can go with the king, for as you know, I am crippled. But Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that my lord, the king, is like an angel of God, so do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my lord, but instead you have honored me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more can I ask? You said enough, David replied. I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you. Give him all of it, Meshibotheth said. I am content just to have you safely back again, my lord and king. Barzillai, son of Gilead, had come down from Roglam to escort the king across the Jordan. He was very old, 80 years of age, and very wealthy. He was the one who had provided food for the king during his stay in Mahanim. Come across with me and live in Jerusalem, the king said to Barzillai. I will take care of you there. No, he replied. I'm far too old to go with the king to Jerusalem. I'm 80 years old today and I can no longer enjoy anything. Food and wine are no longer tasty and I cannot hear the singers, the singers as they sing. I would only be a burden to my lord and king. Just go, just to go across the Jordan River with the king is all the honor I need. Then let me return again to die in my own town, where my father and mother are buried. But there is your, but here is your servant, my son Kinham. Let him go with my lord the king and receive whatever you want to give him. Good, the king agreed. Kim Ham will go with me, and I will help him in any way you would like, and I will do for you anything you want. So all the people crossed the Jordan while the, with the king. After David had blessed Barzillai and kissed him, Barzillai returned to his own home. The king then crossed over into Gilgal, taking Kim Ham with him. All the troops of Judah and half of the troops of Israel escorted the king on his way. But all the men of Israel complained to the king. The men of Judah stole the king and didn't give us the honor of helping take, your, take you, your household, and all of your men across the Jordan. The men of Judah replied, The king is one of our own kinsmen. Why should this make you angry? 
We haven't eaten any of the king's food or received any special favors, but there are ten tribes in Israel, the others replied. So we have ten times as much right to the king as you do. What right do you have to treat us with such contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing him back to our king again, to be our king again? The argument continued back and forth, and the men of Judah spoke even more harshly than the men of Israel. Again, Israel is still divided. Division has been sown in the land. Chaos is erupting. But God's purpose and God's plan is still being fulfilled. So you say, what do I take out of what we're reading today? That. Chaos, confusion, division, strife, jealousy, all of it is going on. The nation is divided, but God's plan is still happening. Chapter 20 through verse 13 There happened to be trouble. There happened to be a troublemaker, as there always are. (laughs) There named Sheba, son of Bichri, a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Sheba blew a ram's horn and began to chant, Down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Come on, you men of Israel, back to your homes. So all the men of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed with their king and escorted him from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. When David came to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to look after the palace and placed them in seclusion. Their needs were provided for, but he no longer slept with them. So each of them lived like a widow until she died. Then the king told Amasa, remember his new commander, Mobilize the army of Judah within three days and report back at that time. So Mesa went out to notify Judah, but it took him longer than the time he had been given. So then David said to Abishai, Sheba, son of Bichri, is getting to hurt us more, is going to hurt us more than Absalom did. Quick, take my troops and chase after him before he gets into a fortified town where we can't reach him. So Abishai and Joab, together with the king's bodyguard and all the mighty warriors, set out for Jerusalem to go after Sheba. As they arrived to greet, I'm sorry, to the great stone of Gibeon, Amasa, there he is, met them. Joab was wearing his military tunic with a dagger strapped in his belt. As he stepped forward to greet Amasa, he slipped the dagger from his sheath. How are you, my cousin, Joab said, and took him by the beard with his right hand as though to kiss him. Amasa didn't notice the dagger in his left hand, and Joab stabbed him in the stomach with it so that his insides gushed out onto the ground. Joab did not need to strike again, and Amasa soon died. Joab and his brother Abishai left him lying there and continued after Sheba. One of Joab's young men shouted to Amasa's troop, 
If you are for Joab and David, come and follow Joab. But Amasa lay in his blood in the middle of the road, and Joab's men saw that everyone was stopping to stare at him, so he pulled him off the road into a field and threw a cloak over him. With Amasa's body out of the way, everyone went on with Joab to capture Sheba, son of Bichri. Again, as we've been studying we the Old Testament, we're really seeing that the, the foundational truth is nothing good comes from the flesh. It just breaks down everything that 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 God has purposed. And yet it's not greater than God's purpose because God's purpose would be accomplished. Ultimately, his purpose is to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. But of the flesh, nothing good comes from it. So before you make a decision, remember in Galatians it tells us that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. And it specifically tells us what the, what the fruit of the flesh is and what the fruit of the Spirit is. And you ought to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. If you have active sin in your life, you need to repent. Especially if you're a believer. Because you are not to be living as such. You are not to be living as such. And if you're not a believer, would you come to Jesus? Because God is pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus. And the good news is, is that Jesus forgives, heals, transforms, sets free the sinner, empowers the new creation to come forth to be rebirthed by the Spirit, and we're given everything we need to live a godly life. There isn't a way in which we are called to live, but we're not to continue to make decisions based out of the flesh because nothing will ever come good, not just for yourself, but for your family, for your community. Like, it can impact so many because of one decision you're choosing to make of the flesh. We're going to conclude the book of John today. John chapter 21. What a beautiful story here that we're going to read. We're going to see Peter restored, reconciled. You think you've gone too far? You haven't. Jesus will call you back to himself. And I love that as I was studying this chapter, even the fire that Jesus was cooking the fish on, it's the only time that that specific fire, it was the second time that that specific type of fire was burning. Mm -hmm. The first time was when Peter, during Peter's denial. Also, as, as we're reading this, think of Jesus. Jesus is cooking fish there. He's preparing a meal. And yet, they are coming back. These disciples went back to their lives. Jesus sees them from the shore and tells them to throw the nets over. It's the second time he's done that. They were empty. They were out fishing all night. They did nothing. And it reminds me of the scripture, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's beautiful that as they did it, and as they were commanded, the nets filled. But then Jesus, we're going to see, gives this greater understanding. 
oh, you're no longer going to be fishing for fish. But I'm calling you to fish for men. We pick up. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm, go- I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, You were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Christian tradition says that Peter was crucified. But he he asked to be crucified upside down. So ultimately what Jesus told Peter came to pass. I mean, could you imagine? This is again Jesus. He's looking at Peter. He's restored Peter. Peter denied him three times. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? And each time he's allowing Peter to know you still have purpose. You still have purpose. You still have purpose. So it doesn't matter how far you've gone or what you've done. 
Come to Christ, you all. Come to Christ. Just as he's asking Peter, he's asking us, do you love me? Well, you have purpose. Do you love me? Don't forget your purpose. Do you love me? Be about my father's business. The purpose, tend to what God has given us. Serve one another. Protect one another. Love one another. See the kingdom of God advance. Peter turned around and saw behind them, behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Now, Jesus just, Peter just heard how he was going to basically die. <laughs> what his life was about to become, Jesus restored him, but in the restoration, Jesus said, this is, is your future, but follow me. So many of us want a glamorous life. We think that it's just going to be all blessing, 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 and yet, though, it is a blessing to suffer for Christ. To suffer for Christ. So don't just go search for the riches. <laughs> Humble yourself, and whatever God has purposed and planned for your life, trust in him. Trust in him. We see who Peter became. A great leader of the church. I mean, and he impacted the church to this day. But he's telling him, Jesus is telling him. But Peter looked and saw John. We find out it's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who wrote this account. He's not naming himself. But he's the one that the other disciples were like, huh? So Peter was like, oh, well, if this is happening to me, hey, what about him? And Jesus replied, if I want, to rem if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So that rumor <laughs> spread among the community of believers. That this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if you want, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies. Now we find out it's John. This, this disciple is the one who testifies about these events and has recorded them here. And we know that this his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Oh, amen. And another lesson to take from this is one I've always encouraged us, get your eyes off of everyone else. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep following him. Keep following him. Don't expect your life to be like another Christian's. Don't expect this or don't expect that. You just expect of Christ to complete what Christ has purposed for your life. This is the confident hope that we have in him. Go to Psalm 120. Psalm 120. This is a beautiful psalm that you could take hope in because this psalmist is in the midst of living 
and a crooked and perverse town. <laughs> As I always told you about the book of Psalms, be encouraged while you're in it. It encourages you to look up. Look up. Don't look out. <laughs> you're going to get discouraged by looking out, but you keep looking up. Because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is returning. The psalmist knew their God. They also knew their sin. They also understood the circumstances that were around them. How harsh they were treated. How depressed they were. How sick they are. But in the midst of all of that, they looked up. Even in the midst of blessings, they looked up. They've always, they, they're so transparent, as you should be. Again, your Christian life is not to be a life that is pretend. That somehow, and I've always told you this, it's not that you're deceiving others, but you're deceiving yourself into believing what you've created for yourself. But trust me, when I tell you this, others see that what you've created, though you portray it, is not real. Because they can see all the spoiled fruit that is left behind. So don't fool yourself, you all. Don't pretend to be when you're not. You're either of Christ or you're not. Don't pretend. Just because, look, okay, I do and whatever. But if you're lying, if you're deceiving yourself into thinking you're in when you're not, then you realize you're going to be like the ones who stand before Jesus. And he says, I don't know you. And they're going to say, but didn't we do? Didn't we do? Didn't I do? 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 And he goes, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You worker of sin. Of sin. I never knew you. Do you understand that consequence? Depart from me. So you can pretend all you want here. And you can put on a good show for people. But in the end, you're going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account. Well, I went to church. I read my Bible. I kept it to myself. Wasn't I a good Christian? I never knew you. I never knew you. I went to church. I gave I posted good comments, I wrote, I wrote this, I did that. I even served the poor. I even did this, I served here, I did this, I gave this, I did, I did, I did, I did. And he says, I don't know you. So come on, you all. This isn't, this isn't playtime. This is a genuine way of life. That you have been born again of the Spirit. Called for his purpose, these psalmists knew. And that's why they can always look up. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from liars and from all deceitful people. O deceptive tongue, what will God do to you? How will he increase your punishment? You will be pierced with sharp arrows and burned with glowing coals. How I suffer in far off Meshka 
It pains me to live in distant Keter. I'm tired of living among the people who hate peace. I search for peace, but when I seek speak of peace, they want war. Just living in an area that is godless. He recognizes it. But he doesn't go along with them. He looks up to God. Closing out, Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 16 through 17. How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? The path of the virtuous leads away from evil. Whoever follows that path is safe. Oh, what path are you on today? Oh, how I pray that you're on the path to life and not death. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close this with the song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer. I speak the name.